0: This morning, I'd like to say hello to a member of our family that is not even with us today, but we're thinking about you. So, hello, Jenna! Very good. That's right, Jenna Newman. We're thinking about you today. We're talking to you. And you're probably lying in that hammock in your room, listening to this and not going, who did they just say hello to? We're talking to you, sister. So we're hoping you're having a good day in Cameroon have a great day. We're praying for you. We love you. By the way, your mom and dad told me that they're sending you a big load of cash for you to spend in any way you want to, all right? <laughs> all right, great. Now, wasn't that fun? Now then, if I ever saw anyone from, ha- from Haiti or Marseille who's listening to my podcast, we'd say hello to you too, but that ain't happened yet, all right? So I'm just saying. Open your Bibles to Genesis 25. Genesis 25 begins with the final aspects of the story of Abraham. By the way, if you are a guest here today, I'll just tell you that we sent one of our own over to Cameroon to do a semester abroad. She's working with some missionaries there and all. So that's kind of what that was all about, just so you know, all right? Open up your Bible to Genesis 25. And as we've been talking about and going through Genesis, Genesis 25 begins the final aspects of the story of Abraham. He takes another wife. You read that here. Her name is Katerah. And then he has additional children with her. The, the passage lists that. But verse 5 is really, it indicates the final elements of the transition from Abraham to Sarah here. Because it just says, now Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. He gave all that he had to Isaac. So here we are. We've really transitioned from Abraham and Sarah with Sarah's passing, and Rebecca has been brought into the family now, and now Abraham has taken all that he had. He's removed himself, so to speak, to the equation, and he's handed it off to Isaac. And then not only that, but he's handed down the blessings of being that chosen child that he had been looking for for 25 years. He's taken all those blessings. He's handed those down to him. And now Isaac has become full on the ongoing fulfillment of the Genesis 3.15 promise of a head crusher, or rather the redeemer that would be the Messiah one day. Abraham even went further and he took and he said, and he sent all the other sons. He gave all the other children gifts, but he sent them away. Kind of like if you had the whole family on the stage up here and, he's, and he wants to highlight one and he wants to say this one right here. What he just did was he just cleared the stage. And he left Isaac alone on the stage and says this one. This one right here. Verse 8, it's really interesting after such a large portion of the book of Genesis being about Abraham that in his passing, there's a whole chapter About Sarah's passing. But when we get to Abraham. Verse 8. It just says. He died. And the sons of Ishmael. They buried him in the cave of Machpelah. Right there next to his wife. And there's just. That's all they have to say about it. It's very. Just. To the point. As we go further here. We get in here in. Verses 12 through 18. They record the descendants of Ishmael. And his death. Again. Only Isaac knows the living heir. And verse 19. Introduces us. ...to Isaac's sons. Rebecca is pregnant... ...and after having some difficulties... ...God performs the very first sonogram... ...in verse 23. And at the reveal party... ...He breaks the news that it's twin boys. But He reveals more than that. The two twin boys represent two nations... ...and the older, He says, will serve the younger. Now, if you were in that culture... ...that would be unusual. Because the older... ...was always the choice son... The older son was always the son. The father's favor was always on that son. That older son, later on in life, he would be the head of the family. He received the bulk of the family possessions, the wealth, the land, the servants, the, the cattle, all the possessions. He will speak for the family. He will direct the family. He is the head going forward. But that's not what God announces. He says that the older one will serve the younger one. The younger one will come out as the family head. Very quickly, that is just God. And you could, and I could pause right here and make this the sermon, but I didn't. And so I don't think I will either, all right? But anyway, just this note. And that's that we have ways that we think God should act. I mean, let's just take it. We have ways that we think that he does things. And that we just don't think he's going to do things any other different than that. And we could draw out all kinds of ways of expectations we have about God. And yet, God doesn't have to do it that way. And so in this culture, the oldest was the head. And God said, I'm changing that. The younger will be the head. But God continually does that, doesn't he? And even with this particular instance of who is the head of the family. Ishmael was the firstborn. But it was Isaac was the chosen. And then you have here, you have Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn, but it was Jacob. And later on, when we get later on in the chapter, and you have all the 12 sons, it's not even one of the sons who gets that blessing. It's the grandsons. It's Joseph's sons later on who get that blessing. And then you can skip ahead to David. He was the, David was the last one. He was the runt of the litter. So they bring out all the sons thinking that it has to be one of these because it's definitely not the runt. We're not even going to bring him in the room. We're not, he's not even going to be in the running. We're not even going to have him in the discussion. And God says, there's one missing. Bring that one because he's the one. And so whatever it is you're waiting on God to do in your life and you think he can only do it this way. You know what? You just need to read scripture to find out he's not limited to what you think he can do. Is he? Praise God for that, because my thinking is pretty pathetic. And he's not limited to doing things the only in the way we understand them. He goes beyond that. He goes beyond that. And so there is a lesson even in that. So the boys, they come out, they're born. One comes out, he's hairy and red. You see that right here in the passage? And then the next one comes out, and he's grabbing on to the heel of his brother as he exits the womb and enters the world. Now I can imagine that as you're sitting there and you're watching this happen you're going, "Oh, how cute he doesn't want his brother to leave him." You know? That's not cute at all. That one coming out holding his heel, he is a problem child. And he's holding on to his heel because he don't want him to get away with anything he doesn't know about. And that's exactly what Jacob was like. Matter of fact, there is so much packed into the way they're born and their names. Esau is a play on the word red and hairy. And he will later on want some of that red stew later on in our story. And then he will become the father of a nation called Edom, which also is a play on the words red. And and this right here is, is what became, this is the, the portion of Edom, the nation of Edom where his descendants. Show me that next one, Farid. And then his nation, Edom, there, where he eventually becomes and takes his people to, that nation there is full of cliffs like the previous slide. It's full of cliffs. Go back one. It's full of red. And so everything about Edom and Esau, there's this play on these words that God's doing there. But the same thing is true for Jacob. Jacob's name literally means heel grabber. Literally one who grabs the heel of another one. And it's not like he's grabbing it to hang on. It has this sense of that he's grabbing it to trip him. It has this sense of being a trick, you know, of one who tricks others. And so later in the story, Esau even uses the Hebrew language to emphasize what a liar and a deceiver his brother is. Playing with Jacob's name and the words for deceiver. And today, I'm not going to take the time to unpack all that interesting as it is. And all. But it's worthy, if you'd like to study it, to just go in and do that. And if you say, well, I don't know Hebrew and all, there's some great websites I can send you to. Just ask me, and they'll unpack that for you a little bit, all right? Now, pay attention to the details we're given in verse, chapter 25, verse 27 through 34, okay? When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man, living in tents. Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please give me a swallow of that red stuff. You can tell Esau was a sophisticated dude. Because I am famished. And therefore his name is called Edom. But Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. And Esau said, behold, I'm about to die. So what use is there of a birthright to me? And Jacob says, swear. Now, this is a dude who's intent. Just think about that. He wasn't okay with just saying so. He wasn't okay kind of like a verbal agreement. Jacob had a purpose and had a plan that he was executing in this. Swear to me, he says. First, sell me your birthright, and behold, I'm about to die. He says, first, swear to me. So he swore to him, verse 33, and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau was a hunter. He was a skilled hunter, it says. Jacob was a homebody. You can kind of imagine it like this, perhaps. You know, imagine one was a jock and the other one stayed in the library. Or maybe let's make this more cultural to where some of our younger people understand this a little bit. One played football on the field. The other one played it on the console. That's, that's kind of what we're talking about here. All right? One played in the stadium. One played on the PlayStation. And, and, but perhaps more important than, than this and then all of this is that the parents... We're charting a course for the family that we read in here that is really bad. That would wreck the family. And it says in here that each of them had their favorite son. Jacob loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. I mean, Rebecca loved, um, did I say that right? Isaac loved Esau. I'm sorry, I had that, I have the wrong name in there. Hmm. Isaac loved Esau and Rebecca loved Jacob. And as you know the story, going forward, Jacob would take that same mistake and repeat it in his family as he delights on Joseph later on. Now remember that it says that like Esau was a skilled hunter, but it is Jacob in this story that is the skilled hunter. Verse 30-33, through 33, we pointed out Esau has something Jacob wants, and it appears that Jacob knows how to get it. He comes in from the field, he sees something, he's hungry, he says, give me a swallow. And Jacob responds kind of just like a brother, in a sense. It'd be just, it would be, it'd be just like to have one of the Ashton boys say to the other one, well, I'll give it to you if you give me a marble. I want that favorite marble. I want that playing card. You know, I want this, or I want that, so I'll trade you for it. You know, it's kind of like innocent kind of stuff, right? But it's, we're not talking about that. We're talking about life changing stuff we're talking about changing your status in the world giving that up so jacob didn't he didn't ask just for eh, if you bring something in for me extra next time that i can cook it he goes it's going to cost you and note how different this is than the way that his grandfather abraham was do you remember what happened when the the herds of abraham and lot got really huge and they needed to divide the herds so that they could, they could have room for each other. And, and Abraham didn't say to him, you know what? There's a piece of land way off over to the edge and I think it'll be okay for you. He said, you choose whatever you want. And Lot, being Lot, chose the very best. And Abraham said, that's fine. And he walked away. He was generous. He wasn't clinging to what was his. He was open-handed to what was his. And so here is Jacob not being anything like his grandfather at all. Now, then, here's you a history lesson. In 1803, the United States doubled the size of our nation with the purchase of land at the price of less than three cents an acre. The Louisiana Purchase, as it is known, was a vast amount of land. It, it cost around $15 million, maybe. That's an astonishing gain. For little cost. But in this story, the reverse is true. Where little was given for great, in this story, Esau gave up a great deal for little. A great deal for little. He traded. He was the heir of all the spiritual blessings that came through Abraham. That God had promised in Genesis 12. That was his as the head of the house. He had all the family blessings. And at that time, all this was his. He was the father of the future nation of the chosen people. He was the father of the future Messiah. You know, when you think about family dynamics, and you think about how families are, I can't help but think that Abraham had not told Isaac. The nature of the blessing. I can't, I can't imagine that at some point or another, as Isaac was growing up, he would take him and he would bounce him on his knee and say, Now listen, listen, God made a promise about you, little boy, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through you, little boy, and that your descendants They would number like the sand on the, sea sh- on the, on the beach, they would be like the stars in the sky. And, you, and Isaac, Isaac, look, look, look around you, little one. Do you see all of this land? God said he's going to give it to you. Isaac would understand that. And I would think that that Isaac says the same thing to his oldest child as well. As the oldest child, you saw, he said, this is what God said to Father Abraham. Had many sons. Father Abraham. (laughs) This is what God said to Father Abraham. He said, all of this. And he goes through all of that and he says, that's what's going to be given to the oldest of our family as well. You know why? I think that Esau said that why I think Isaac said that to Esau? Because even though there'd been a prophecy at the womb that the younger would serve the older in his dying days in these later on in this chapter, later on in this story, when Jacob was old, who did he call to bless? He did not call the younger which God said it would be. He called the older. I believe that Isaac was intent to have his oldest be that child of blessing. And Rebekah intervened and said, "Mm -mm -mm. my favorite would be that child of blessing because God told us so. That's all coming. So I believe that this is exactly what God wanted for Esau, to be the child of blessing. And that Esau had to know all that as a young man. And he comes in here and he goes, I am so starving. I'll do I'll do anything for a bunch of that red stuff. And Jacob being the heel grabber, Jacob being the conniver says, sell me your birthright. And Esau said, sure, you can have it. I swear to it. And he gives it away. There are two takeaways for us today that I'd like for us to look at. Let's start with Jacob. He's not a nice guy. I mean, he, I mean you know, he's, he, his character fulfills his namesake. He is a liar and a deceiver. And there's just not a whole lot of redeeming characteristics about him. You might remember in, that in the next chapter, like we already said, in the next chapter, he lies about his wife just like his grandfather did. He goes, oh, that's just my sister. Don't worry about her. And they find out you lied to us. And then in the chapter after that, there's when he deceives. His mother and him conspire to deceive and defraud his brother of his blessing and to cheat and lie to the father to get that blessing to be passed on to Jacob and not to Esau. This is who we're talking about. But then later on, this guy here, he's going to make the same mistake we've already talked about. Later on, he's going to have a lot of sons, not just two, And he's going to take Joseph and he's going to say, this one I love so much. Let me make special clothing for you. Let me dot on you. Let me treat you differently. Let me really make you the object of your brother's hatred. And let me make our family life something that's really pleasant. This is Jacob. This is the one that God says that the others will serve. This is the one that God says, this is the one that I've chosen for the blessings of the universe, for the blessings of the world to go through. And I have to tell you that as I've been reading the book and all, I've continued to struggle with that. That this is the guy that God has chosen to be the next in line to carry the seed of the Messiah. To be the one that is, you know, all of the world right now. If you go to any of our Jewish friends and say, tell us about the fathers of your faith, they will say, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob. This guy. Why? Shouldn't he have one redeeming quality? If he's going to be the the blessing carrier? Shouldn't he have one quality at all? Shouldn't he be more like you? Shouldn't he be more like me? Because we are so qualified, aren't we? We are so much more holy like that. We've never done anything that, like, Jacob did, have we? No. I, I really, matter of fact, even as I was studying this earlier this week, um, every week, my brother and I, Mark, we get together on Monday nights, and we study, we go through the text that we're going to be doing and all, and we talk about it and all, and, I, and I'm like going, I don't understand how this works. I don't understand why it is that God takes such a, an absolute jerk and says, that's the one who's going to carry the blessing. And I was kind of tripping over it a lot. And one time I thought, well, you know, there there is repercussions for his sin because his family is a mess and he passes on that sin to his children and his children are a mess and his children's families are a mess. Judah um, defrauds all of his daughter-in-laws and then goes and sleeps with one he thinks is a prostitute. I mean, you know, it's just a mess. They're all a mess. They're train wrecks. They're train wrecks after train wrecks. They're just running the back of each other as they have train wrecks. They're a mess. So I'm thinking, well, that in itself, he didn't get away with anything. His children are a mess. I thought that was it. I think that's the answer, maybe. But I kept researching. I kept reading. I kept trying to figure this out. And finally, one pastor said it. And I think that he's really, really right. And he said it like this. Speaking about Jacob and being the one who receives the blessing. I mean, if we're here this morning, this is what this other guy wrote. I mean, if we're here this morning and we're mildly self-aware and we know how we hurt people. How We know how we have failed as fathers and mothers and sons and daughters. And we know how we follow our heart and pursue our heart's desire and walk in the stubbornness of our heart instead of God's word. And we know how we manipulate people instead of trusting God's promises. And we know how we as families or individuals can lose sight of our spiritual bearings. If we're here in church this morning and we're mildly self-aware, then we know that the answer to the question, how could God choose Jacob, is this, how could God choose anyone? And we know the answer is grace. None of us did God choose because we were qualified. He did not choose me because I'm qualified. Everyone's very aware of that. And he did not choose you to be brought into his family and to expend the blood of his Holy Son on you because you were going to do something great in the kingdom or because you were just a specially good guy. None of that happened. He brought you into his family because he extended something to you you didn't deserve. That's the mercy and the penalty and allowing Christ to pay the penalty for your sin. That's called grace. Grace. So we sit here today because of God's grace. And that's the same way that Jacob became the one who carried the blessing because of God's grace. Not because he deserved it. Not because he qualified for it. Not because he was the best of the group. Not because he's the guy I would have chosen. God chose Jacob because of his grace. And as we read his story, God gives this dude one working over. And that's what he's doing to each and every one of us. And that season of getting worked over, that place of being in a really hard spot, and I could go through the room and I could point at you and say, that season of waiting on a place to live, that season of waiting to see what your cancer is going to do, that season, whatever that is, that's the place he wants you in. And it's an expression of his love to you. And he's saying, I love you so much that I'm going to put you in this place and I'm going to just use this to polish you. And I'm going to use this to make you like my son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to use this to make you more holy, more righteous, more patient. I am going to use this so one day you will take what I'm putting you through and you will go to someone else and says, God was faithful to me in my circumstance. Let me tell you about that. He'll be faithful to you in your circumstance. There is not one episode of your life that has ever been wasted unless you choose to waste it. And so that's grace. Tim Keller said God brings his scandalous grace into the lives of people who don't deserve it, don't seek it, continually resist it, and don't even appreciate it after they've been saved by it. I'm not going, wow, he just kind of wrote that about me, didn't he? Jacob got the job the same way you and I got into the family of God because he gave us grace. And so your wife deserves a better husband. Your husband deserves a better wife. Your children deserve better parents. The parents deserve better children. They, They probably don't believe that, you know. Matter of view, I know that, like for instance, Josiah turned 19 today. Today, all the wealth that he's always thought he knew, today he knows for sure, and he is the wisest one in his family. You know, that's what happens with children, right? They get they get stuck with you know with really lacking parents, and yet God still puts us together. The church deserves better than me. The church deserves better than our elder council. All these things. We all think we deserve something better. And yet God puts us together in his divine wisdom, in his design, his divine plan. It says, this group of people is the perfect group of people for each other. And some of them don't want to be there. And that's why they need to be there. And in his perfection, in his wisdom, he does just that. So, You don't have anything you have because you earned it. You don't have anything you have because you deserve it. You have everything you have because of God's grace and His mercy and His great, abiding, deep love for you. Second takeaway. How many times have we heard the story of an athlete, a movie star, a politician, a musician, even a pastor? We just talked about a pastor two weeks ago that had so much going for them so much success around them. The golden touch, everything they touched, they just, it, was, it was just good. And then they made one bad decision, one really bad decision that derailed everything. They're no longer an A-list celebrity. Instead, they're the butt of the jokes. And they make all the lists on the Internet about ten stars who washed up. You know, they, That's the list they get to be on now. That's exactly what happened to Esau. Check out verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau the bread and the lentil stew, and he ate and he drank and he rose and he went... His way, and he despised his birthright. Hebrews 11:12 says this about him, He says, "Make sure that no one is immoral, godless like Esau. There we go. He made the list, right? Who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal? You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. He was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. Some versions describe his behavior as profane. Profane means to take things in a light way. That you're unimpressed with them. That the things around you, the things in front of you, are going, heh, I don't need that. They're only worth lentil soup. And just like an Esau is a mirror to us. How do, what is it that we treat in a profane way? What do we despise that we should honor? Well, the very first one that I'm I'm guilty of, the very first one that I think many of us struggle with, is we have something that is of great honor and we have something that is of great value and we treat it in a profane way. That's our time in the Word. We find that there's so many other things that we can be reading. So many other things that are really good that take our attention. But they are profane, they are lentil soup compared to the Word of God. How about the time to speak about our faith in Christ to someone else to just demonstrate what God has done in our life, to be able to demonstrate the forgiveness we received? How about the a time, the opportunity to be a godly parent when it doesn't feel comfortable, when it's not convenient, when it's not what you want to do? Again, I list all my sins here. I don't point out yours. Um, how about something that is really, really, really valuable is the opportunity to to mentor and disciple a younger Christian. And we go, eh, I'd rather watch TV. Eh, football season started. Eh, fill in the blank. That's something that's highly to be desired. How about being in a small group? How about being in a Bible study? How about attending an equipping class? How about mentoring a young mom, or a young dad. All those things are things that we think, eh, they're not really worth my time. I'm going to do them. I'm going to do something else. All those things are worthy and valuable, but we put all kinds of things ahead of them. Jacob gave up so much just for something to eat. It was a carnal, mundane thing that he took. And so how many of us have given up so much? We've given up so much for one more drink, and we paid the price. We've said yes when we should have said no. One more high, one more hit. We've, we've, we've given up our integrity and our testimony for a few extra hundred dollars profit, for a few extra hundred dollars in our bank account, for a few extra hundred dollars in our business, to see a title by our name, to see initials after our name, to click on porn one more time. One more time, one more time. Is always what we say, just one more time, as we do that one thing that, by doing it, we make something that is wholly profane. We diminish its value and we raise something else up. While it's easy to look down on Jacob and Esau, what we find is that we, when we look inside, that God reveals that we are just like them in so many ways. And what's really great, though, is what Jacob and Esau did not have, is that we do have, is that we have the abiding presence of Christ in our life. We have the abiding presence of the Word, the divine Word in our life that we can go to and we can find. We go, that God forgives and God restores and God redeems. And He takes the ashes. He makes them beautiful. We have all that at our disposal now. And so while we can find ourselves being like Jacob and Esau, what we can find also is that God is in the middle of all that and redeeming it. And so, while Jacob, you know, he's in the process of being like this he doesn't understand that one day we're looking back on him calling him the father of the faith and we're seeing how God works it out in his life and so while you might have been a Jacob or you might have been an Esau or I have been maybe even this morning what we have hope in is that God redeems that and those things don't have to define us just like Jacob known for this but Jacob's also known later on chapter 38 I believe Where he wrestles with God, and God says, Your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is Israel. And you are the father of a new nation. And God touches his hip, and he gives him a limp, and he goes, You'll always remember me now. You'll always remember me now. Well, we have that hope in him because of that. So let's pray. Father, this morning. Um, these dudes were not good guys, really, at this stage of the life anyway. There is a lot to be learned from them. And so today, we take away from their lives opportunities to learn for our lives. We take away from them the things that, that you were doing in their life, and we look to them, we say, how can I be different, and how can I see God at work in my life like this? And we can look at the messes we've made, and we can see how you can redeem them, because that's who you are. That's what you are, a redeemer. So while we may have considered so much of our spiritual life profane and worthless, may you continually be growing us just like you did Jacob so that we value those things. We look to you and are so grateful that you give us such great hope and that that you are so willing and eager to be at work in our lives. And I just pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to be aware of that and to be open to that. So we may, be, so we may see ourselves growing to be more and more like you. And it's in your good name we pray. Amen.